Are you someone who is fascinated by all the pregnancy, childbirth, and motherhood stuff few people talk about because they're too embarrassed? If so, welcome to the motherload of all things taboo, or at least really wild and interesting. The Asking for a Pregnant Friend podcast is based off the book of the same name and dives in to all of the pregnancy, birth, and mothering topics that make many people blush or scratch their heads. I do all the boring research so you don't have to and bring you interviews with the leading experts and the topics I cover. I also share all the things about myself, Bailey Gaddis. I'm all about TMI. You'll also hear stories from brave women who gave permission to have their stories shared. So come along, my friend, on a journey into the beautiful underbelly of making, growing, and raising babies. For today's episode, I had the incredible honor of interviewing Deborah Pascali Bonaro. She is amazing. She is a world-renowned international speaker, a filmmaker. She directed the amazing documentary Orgasmic Birth, The Best Kept Secret. She is a Lamaze International Childbirth Educator, Birth and Postpartum Doula Trainer with Dona International. She was also the co-author of the book Orgasmic Birth, Your Guide to a Safe, Satisfying, and Pleasurable Birth, which I highly recommend. Um, Her latest book, which was a number one new release on Amazon, is called The Ultimate Guide to Sex After Baby, Secrets to Love and Intimacy, which I have already ordered. I recommend you get your copy. She's also a mother, a grandmother, and a featured expert in parenting journals and media around the world. She, this woman knows what she is talking about. Uh, She is also the co-chair of the International Childbirth Initiative and chair of the International Mother-Baby Childbirth Initiative, both of which promote safe, respectful childbirth maternity care. So, She is so deep in the world of pregnancy, of birth, of postpartum, of helping women bring pleasure and empowerment into this amazing journey. So without further ado, let's talk to Deborah. Well, hello, Deborah. Thank you so much for for joining me on the Asking for a Pregnant Friend podcast. As I just mentioned, you know, your work made a huge impact on, on my birth experience with my son. And yeah, now that I'm pregnant again, I'm really looking forward to, to taking all of your wisdom into this, this next birth experience with me. So thank you. Oh, thank you, Bailey. It is so amazing to be here with you and to be here as you're pregnant again and just to feel our connection. I'm such an admirer of your work and all that you put out and bring into the world. So truly an honor to be here today. Oh, the feeling is so mutual. So I, you know, I first found you through the documentary that you directed, Orgasmic Birth, and then I found, you know, the book that you co-authored by by the same name. What, you know, what inspired you to to create the film, to write the book? Yeah, it's 
great question because like sometimes I even look back and go wow how did this manifest but I have to say that my background as you know right is a doula and an educator and I was going through a period of time where I was watching a lot of the way the media was portraying birth and I was like screaming at the television going no you know like if you look at the statistics they have a huge number of medicalized births on the television shows and they they make it almost seem like it's a disaster waiting to happen. Even the music is kind of like, sometimes it reminds me of Jaws, like we're waiting for, you know, the shark to come. So I have to say that in my experience of seeing a lot of pleasurable births, I knew birth was different, but I literally was sound asleep one night and truly had a dream about making the documentary Orgasmic Birth. And I know it was my subconscious mind from yelling at the television that day that I woke my husband up and shook him. And I was like, Jimmy, I have to make a documentary. And he just laughed because you have to know me, but like, I'm terrible with cameras and film and editing. And he just laughed and he said, go back to sleep and have a better dream, you know? But it was so powerful, like I literally saw the film that when I woke up in the morning, I thought, you know, I need to make this film. And the great thing about life is we don't have to know how to do it all. I knew that I could find the people I love to work in collaboration. So it was a matter of just finding the right people with the amazing skills and our team came together. So I really have to say it happened out of, you know, a lot of experience in birth and certainly knowing that birth contains pleasure, joy, love, and connection. But I do have to say that dream was what pushed me to go outside my comfort zone and make a film. That's amazing. I love, I love how life finds ways to give us, you know, messages about, about our next step, step forward. And, you know, so when I mention the phrase, you know, orgasmic birth or, you know, a pleasurable birth experience, people look at me and they're like, what, what does that even mean? So, so how, how would you describe an orgasmic birth? And thank you for, that's like so important because I often say to everybody, I'd love to hear like what they're thinking. So everyone listening, I hope you're getting your thoughts and like jot them down. But Elizabeth Davis and I, who co-authored the book, Orgasmic Birth, spent a lot of time around that question because for both of us, it certainly wanted to include the people that have that experience of we, what we now call a birthgasm, that people that really have these expansive waves of orgasm at some point in labor and birth. But we don't want anyone to have a performance standard. And orgasm isn't the only way of finding pleasure. So our definition is really broad to say anyone that takes the power of birth, that is part of decision making, that makes the choice to birth where and with whom, and feels that they have these moments of love, connection, joy, ecstasy, whatever your language is for positive and pleasurable, that's an orgasmic birth. But I think that we need to let everyone define it for themselves because birth has this underlying essence of love and connection and joy. And that doesn't mean that we don't face challenge 
or pain too. People think sometimes it's an either or, but that's not the case. We can have challenging moments followed by, you know, the touch or the look of our partner or a friend or a doula. And that moment of connection takes us to another place. And labor is riding those waves, as you know, of many different feelings and experiences. So I believe orgasmic birth is everybody's birthright. And we just have to create our definition of it and then claim it um, in birth. Yeah, that's so important. I feel like that helps to take the, the pressure off of women, you know, that think, oh, well, you know, I can't have an orgasmic birth unless I actually orgasm, which of course, you know, it'd be such an amazing outcome, but yeah, you're so right. There's so many other ways to have this like orgasmic experience. And, and with that said, you know, what are some specific ways that, that a woman could increase her chances of having, you know, that orgasmic birth. And of course, you know, that, that definition can be different for everybody, but, but what can we do, you know, during pregnancy and during the birth experience itself to increase our chances of having that, that pleasure? And I like how you say increase the chances because in the thousands of people I've talked to, some people did nothing and actually had the birthgasm, right? And that like totally shocked them. And sadly, some people were ashamed by it. Like they told me I was the first person they ever told, not even their partner, because they were like embarrassed at a time everyone talked about pain, they had this intense pleasure. But I do think that the likelihood that you'll have moments of pleasure and joy interspersed during labor really do need preparation. And my number one thing is to look at your own beliefs. And that might be looking at the generations before. You know, how were your grandparents born, your great grandparents, your parents? What was your own birth like? What have you been told about birth? How has the media influenced you, like me screaming at the television, right? Um, really, I call it kind of clearing the cobwebs because we have to look at what our beliefs have been around birth, what the language around birth has been, which for many people is fear and pain, and how can we address that so that we can move into creating the space and a language for love, connection, and pleasure. So for me, it's that really exploring our own beliefs and then creating a positive language, which may mean we have healing to do. It may mean we have to refocus. It may mean you have to reach out and listen to a lot of positive stories. What do you need to do to be able to reach that place of relanguaging pleasure in birth? Yeah. And that was so, you know, important for me during, you know, my son's birth, because thinking about like sexuality and thinking, you know, when I heard the term like orgasmic birth, it's like, well, but like, I'm supposed to be maternal. And so that goes against, you know, seeking pleasure. And I, I really had to clear out those cobwebs and really look at, you know, my own sexuality and how, you know, I interpret that and how I could become more comfortable bringing that into the birth experience, which is, I think it's so interesting that so many women, we, we are afraid of that because um, unless you used IVF or, you know, fertility care, 
you had sex to become pregnant and it's such an integral part of the process. And then all of a sudden we're having the baby. It's like, oh, well, I can't seek out, you know, that, that physical, that, that pleasure. Um, so that, yeah, played such a huge role in, in me being able to have, you know, more, more pleasure. So I'm glad that, glad that you mentioned that. Um, and, and can I just go there? I, I'm glad you mentioned the sexuality because that's really the next piece, right? Like it's one thing to look at the perceptions of birth, but birth is sexual. And I feel like we've certainly had advances and benefits from the medicalization of birth, but we've also had what I call harms. And part of what I see as the harms is we sterilize birth. In making it a medical event, we stripped away our own clothing. We took away the sexuality of birth. We took sometimes away even the emotional expression and the sacredness of birth. So really being able to look at birth as sexual, again, may require healing. I honor that you know many of us are survivors of sexual abuse or have not had the sexuality that we wanted. So pregnancy can be such a great time of healing, of learning, of expanding. And as you said, you know, put sex and birth together, they're almost like two taboos. And when they collide together, it's like, oh, we have a lot to unpack there to get comfortable because when you see birth as sexual, kissing, touching, masturbation, loving words, anything that's a turn on um, is going to actually help you find more pleasure. And actually now science even is helping us see that a sexy birth is a scientific birth that does help birth go quicker and gentler. Oh, I love that. And, and thinking about, you know, the people that are supporting us, how, you know, can our, our birth partner and, and a doula, you know, I know that, you know, you work as a doula, that's a huge part of my work, you know, how, how does that support system, you know, impact the, the pleasure, the, the comfort in the, in the birth experience? So much. And I know people always think that's like opposite. Like here we're talking sex and intimacy. And then we're saying invite a stranger in, (laughs) right? Which is not something most of us do in our sexual life. Mm -hmm. Um, But doulas, we're so well trained with birth that we understand that need for intimacy. And we also know that there are three key ingredients to let our hormones flow. And the same hormones of birth happen to be the same hormones of orgasm, and they need the same conditions. So we help people create private space so that they feel safe enough to open to birth on every level, physical, emotional, spiritual, sexual. We also help make sure that people are really heard, that their voice is amplified. And that's so important, right? When we're in an intimate space, we wanna be honored, respected, heard, supported, loved. So we help people communicate um, in a way that's their love language, in the way that they're heard and a part of all decision-making. It's your body, your baby, your birth. You really need to know that. And I think some people think, well, my partner will do that. But as you know, too, partners are in the experience as well. And when partners have a doula, someone who holds that space, who helps them really with ideas of ways to create more pleasure, ways to feel safer, 
Actually, partners report that they participated more when they had a doula and that their relationship is even strengthened. So doulas being so sensitive to the environment are not like an outside observer. There's someone in birth that's really there to nurture you in the way that you'd like and creating this space so that you can find more pleasure and comfort. Yeah, absolutely. And, and that's something that a lot of, of partners ask me, are, are you going to replace me? Will I still be needed? And it's like, oh, abs, you know, I just come in to help, you know, bring you together. And a lot of times I'm not supporting the partner more than the mom, but, you know, really helping them through their own process. So yeah, we're absolutely not a substitution, but yeah, just um, a catalyzing force for yeah, a more peaceful, peaceful journey. And, you know, I've been thinking a lot recently about, you know, our, our birthing rights and I've had so many women, especially, you know, with COVID so, so confused about what are my rights during birth, you know, specifically in, in a hospital setting and, and what are some ways that you would support a woman in advocating for those rights in feeling more empowered, you know, during her birth experience? And this is pivotal. Like I always, there, is there any day in your life that someone violated your rights that you felt good about? And so on the most sacred day of bringing new life into the world, you want to ensure that only people are there that are going to respect you. So I really believe it starts in prenatal care. Um, you know, prenatal care is important. You want to be developing relationships and making sure that the people you're choosing to care for you are seeing and hearing you, validating. Um, it's okay to disagree, but do it respectfully. You know, tell me more about that. If your caregiver wants to have a certain paradigm of practice. And maybe just for example, they like to have an IV in labor. You have every right to say, tell me what science you base that on. Where is that recommendation to me? What is the benefit and what is the risk? So I think that people really need to start saying that you're getting messages from your caregivers. I always get upset when I hear people say, well, my caregiver was too busy or, you know, I see 10 different people, so I don't really know. And they're kind of underneath it going, something doesn't feel right, that the most sacred day of my life, I'm gonna have a random stranger that I don't know anything about and if they're gonna honor me or not. But we've been conditioned to be good patients. And so often we override that intuition that this isn't right. like. You wouldn't plan a really sacred event in another way and just let random people come in and run the show. So really important that you know that you want to be respected and you need to be part of decision making. So that's, again, where a doula can help you. So even in the moments of labor, it's important to know that you can say, you know, I need a little time to think about that. You gave me a lot of information. Um, can I take some time? And then maybe I'll have more questions. And this is my trick. A lot of times in hospitals, when we ask to think about things, we get a lot of pressure. What do you mean? Think about it. I have three other people right now and I told you what we need to do, but this might not be your language or maybe it is right. But if we can say, could I take time to pray about it? Prayer is always respected. And so finding again, the language that you can always create positive space for yourself 
And then you might be praying, you might be thinking, but slow it down. Know that you always have the ability to consent or to refuse, right? And, or just to say, not now, I need more time. But being a part of decision-making is gonna reinforce that you're getting respected, you're being heard, and that this is your birth. So I couldn't feel stronger that this is like one of the key elements that many people know, but override. And too many people have, that they look back on and say, I wish I, I should have, I, why didn't I? And it often involves around not listening to that inner voice. So trust that intuition, make sure you know who's going to be at your birth and listen to, are they respecting you in pregnancy? And then make sure you have the time and space in labor to fully understand the benefits and risks of anything that's offered to you and then see what feels best for you at that time. Mm. Yeah. And that, that timing piece and allowing yourself to pause is so crucial. It's something, you know, I had a beautiful birth experience in so many ways, but when, you know, two different times, my doctor, they wanted to break my water and then they wanted me to push right away. And, you know, up until that point, I had felt so empowered, but then I felt that like rush. They're like, okay, well, we're, we want to get that baby out. So we're going to break your water. We're going to do this. And it was, they were talking really fast and moving fast. And I had been so conditioned to see, you know, doctors, especially as like authority figures. And especially this woman, um, was very, you know, authoritative and, and looking back, I wish I would have just asked for a moment to think, and I might've agreed to what they were suggesting, but I, I didn't take that time to pause. So that's, you know, a huge, huge piece that I encourage women to, to do as they're, you know, navigating birth anywhere. But I feel like, especially the hospital, that's where we, especially the hospital. And that's where that word prayer, right? Because sometimes if you say, I need a minute, they're like, well, we don't have a minute or I need to think is almost like a challenge to their authority. Like you're saying, well, I have to think about what you told me. Maybe I don't like it. But when you say prayer, it takes it out of the conflict and people always, it's been wonderful because they always go, of course, take time to pray and let me know when you're done. And so it's such a gentle way of creating the pause. And for some people, that is what they're doing, right? They need that time to pray. And other people, it's just creating that space. Oh, I love that. That's such a good, a good tip. And, and thinking about, you know, something else about hospital birth, when I talk to women about the potential of having, you know, pleasure in that experience, they say, oh, well, it's just such a clinical environment. I, I just feel uncomfortable in the hospital rooms. You know, what are some ways women can shift the, the physical environment in the hospital to increase their chances of feeling, you know, more, more calm and potentially, you know, allowing in more pleasure. And you have to change the environment, right? Because I want you to look at that hospital room and say like, I wanna be able to have the best sex of my life here. And what do I need to do, 
And if you look at the room like that, first of all, usually the first thing is change the lighting, right? Like who wants fluorescent lights? So get those lights off, bring electric candles in. I've had people bring like sparkly color lights that twinkle and we, you know, tape them over around or lay them on tables. So really sensuality is really taking in all our senses. So think about to be sensuous, what do you want to see? What do you want to hear? What do you want to smell? What do you want to taste? And what kind of touch is safe and feels good to you? And so really look at that space with that. So again, bring your lights in, bring your music in, you know, even if it's a sound box of just listening to a rainstorm, what are the sounds that make you feel safe and sensuous? Um, what are the smells? Like a lot of times just smelling hospital smell for me, like makes me close down, right? It's like, oh, because I associate it with illness and sometimes not very pleasant things that have happened in our family. So smell is really important in pregnancy. So changing that, um, many people bring, right? Lavender and jasmine or chamomile. What are your, your personal smells that you like? But you really need to change it. I even have people bring their own pillow, bring like artwork, uh, sarongs that are beautiful like we take over and say we need to change this birth space so you don't know you're in a hospital anymore you've created your own personal kind of mini retreat setting so that you can enjoy this process and something I find so interesting in a hospital, you know, when a woman really, you know, makes it her own is the shift in the medical care providers. When they walk into the room, it's like their shoulders go down a bit and they, they talk in a, in a more gentle way. I mean, it's so amazing to see how they're like, it's so nice in here. I just want to stay in this room. So it's really beautiful to see, see that, that impact. Um, so something that I've been doing to prepare for this next birth is I've been taking belly dancing classes, which are so hard and so amazing. <laughs> I um, was not it's built so for it, fun. but I'm, I'm so glad I'm doing it. Um, so have you found that there's any connection between, you know, dancing and a pleasurable birth experience? I definitely think so. I mean, we don't have the science to document it, but I totally believe it. And as you know, right, belly dancing traditionally was preparation for birth to get you moving and jiggling and wiggling and helping your baby to move with you and through your body. And so again, hospitals meaning well, but you know, they're a broken model, putting people down and having you push against gravity or even just staying still, right? is not going to let that baby out. But those motions, especially when you pick the music, right? And you're finding your rhythm, which at different points in labor will be different rhythms like life, you know, from the slow, gentle rhythm to like, let's boogie down and dance this baby into our arms. So I see that when people are dancing, they smile more. And we always say these lips are connected to these lips, right? So when we have that smile, when we're finding those moments of joy, it's going to change how our cervix and our vagina and our body opens to birth. And we just know scientifically that moving your body 
helps that baby to rotate and find their way to and uses gravity. So way more pleasure um, and fun. And you get to pick the set list, which I love that part too, right? No, totally. Some of my best dance parties have been with, with birthing women who would have, who would have thought, <laughs> and not, and not always, you know, the really, like you think of like the gentle music during birth. I've had moms that put on like nineties hip hop music and, you know, anything, anything goes. <laughs> Isn't that great? I love to follow the rhythms, like as they change their set list and things like that. It's like so much fun to feel the whole atmosphere changes because music is powerful. Yeah. Yeah. And so now I want to fast forward to, you know, after we have the baby, you know, what are some ways that women can reconnect with, you know, their sexuality, with feeling like this, this beautiful, amazing sexual being after having the baby? Yeah. And that's probably some of the hardest because we've been so conditioned, right, to an image of our body, of our sexuality. And after birth, right, you remember this, like I remember after my first child kind of looking down at my body and like, whose body is this? I felt like I had to get to know this body that had been changing for nine months but I wasn't prepared for what it was going to look like once the baby was out. So I think some of the first things is really to love your body, whatever it is, um, to get to know this new body. I encourage people to pre in pregnancy, right? Get that hand mirror and look at your beautiful labia and vagina. And so many people have never taken the time to take a good look and just say, wow, you know, my pussy is gorgeous. And then look postpartum. And sometimes it's hard in early postpartum because we might have swelling and tears and that, but it's good to see it's your body. And what's amazing is day by day, I just had someone do this and they were like on day three, they were like, it was pretty scary. And I was like, but watch your body's amazing. And like every day she was like, wow, I can't believe how quick I'm healing and how quickly she felt gorgeous again. That's amazing. I'm going to do that. I had some people tell me to do that the first time and I was just too scared, but this time around, <laughs> well, this has been such, such an honor, such a pleasure. What are the best ways for women to learn more about your work, to connect with you? One of the easiest is orgasmicbirth.com. And if you go there, we have a free ebook waiting for you on how to have five tips for more pleasure and birth. And we also give you a discount on our film, which I find for a lot of people is a great introduction, right? To really see seven people and their journey with orgasmic birth. And you can find my workshops there. Join me at a retreat a seminar. So, and follow us on Instagram. I love to hear people's comments and see their pictures at orgasmic birth on Instagram. Oh, well, thank you again, Deborah. It's oh, thank you so much, Billy. And I wish you such a gentle, joyful, pleasurable orgasmic birth, however you define that. If you can like, subscribe, comment, that would be so incredibly helpful. That will allow me to keep providing this content for you guys. All right. Love you. 
Is pregnancy or early motherhood making you feel other than? Is it triggering all sorts of weird emotional and physical stuff you are sure no one else is going through? If so, get your copy of Asking for a Pregnant Friend, 101 Answers to Questions Women Are Too Embarrassed to Ask About Pregnancy, Childbirth, and Early Motherhood. This book is like the modern-day Dear Abby for pregnant women and new moms who want to get straight yet loving answers to the pregnancy, birth, and mothering questions they're too afraid to ask, those questions that make you blush. You can get your copy of Asking for a Pregnant Friend on Amazon or from Barnes & Noble, Target, and everywhere else books are sold. Mm -hmm. 